Welcome to the Move Forward Podcast with Dr. Kim Moss. We are here to move you forward in the call of God for your life, your career, and your ministry through prophetic insight, practical teaching, and powerful conversations with influential leaders. Never throw away your confidence. It is time to move forward. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Move Forward Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kim Moss, and we are on week number 10 in our, it's really the Emmaus Road study, but the study of the covenant and following the scarlet thread from Genesis unto Revelation, looking for the seed that will crush the head of Satan, which of course is Jesus. And so we have been studying all these weeks in our summer series with Dr. Alan Hawkins. And if you haven't listened to the first nine weeks, you're going to want to go back and catch all of those. You're going to receive a lot from from today. So stick with us and welcome if you're brand new, but you can go back and you can find them on my podcast, Move Forward with Dr. Kim Moss, or you can find them on our YouTube channel, Kim Moss Ministries. And, uh, but today we are going to welcome again, our friend, Dr. Alan Hawkins, Dr. Hawk. So glad to Hi, have Kim. you with us again today. Hi. Good to be here. Welcome to my kitchen. <laughs> It's a beautiful kitchen, and I love that that Mama Gail. I was noticing that Mama Gail has already uh, be, uh, got it decorated because I see all the things on top of the cupboards. It's beautiful. Well, that, that's the sparse place in the house that is decorated. We still got we, for for your viewers. We we've only been in the home a couple of months, and most of the time we've been in the home, we've been traveling, so we haven't been here, <laughs> and we still have a lot of work to do. But we're happily. Uh, ensconced in our uh, new home, which Mama Gail hopes will be our last home. She doesn't ever want to move again. <laughs> and, and I'm like, whatever you want, baby. Let's, <laughs> at this point, and we're, next, uh, as we're, as we're recording this by the time, well, by the time this is presented, uh, yes. Gail and I will have been 49 years married. <gasps> Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. That is a huge feat. So we, are you, you know, planning, are you planning something special for your 50? Cause that will be the next year. We're not very good at planning special things. So we have friends like <laughs> you that are, that are provoking us and giving us ideas. And, and uh, I, I think something will happen. I know um, I, what I would like to do probably, but always what I'd like to do is spend a lot of money and always what Gail would <laughs> like to do is, is just sequester away in a quiet place. So we'll see how yeah. that happens. And it's going to be great. Okay. Let's get started. Yes, let's get. So catch us up a little bit. And well, introduce this week's uh, subject. Um, what happens from the time of David until the time of Jesus is that's the period of time in Israel when we have kings and prophets. Mm. Uh, but what takes the precedence in our, our mind's eye is the prophetic writings. And so what we want to do is we look at the prophetic writings and what they do, Kim, is the, the prophets, they all speak of a coming 
um, new covenant, or they don't all use the word new covenant, but they all speak right. of a coming new relationship that God will have with his people by his spirit. Mm. And uh, what we do is we, we look at the historical unfolding of that. And uh, if I'm, if we're effective today, we'll take us right up to the day of Pentecost. So let's get Ooh. started go ahead and, and okay. go to the next slide. So what I have here is a series of dates and um, everyone should note that this is BC. So by, when you're doing BC, you're counting down. Now, David had 40 years on the throne, and then following him was Solomon, who also had 40 years on the throne. Solomon, not David, is the one that ends up building the temple. And uh, Kim, the, the dedication of the temple has become one of my uh, big focuses. That's and, and so I just, I just want to say, I just want to say what... Um, uh, when Solomon dedicates the temple, there's sacrifice on the altar and he prays the dedicatory prayer. And two things happen when he prays. The, the, the presence of God falls and the fire of God falls. And the fire consumes the sacrifices and the presence um, makes it impossible. In, in one place, it's impossible for them to stand. In another place, it's impossible for them to enter the temple. But, but the presence of God, the unveiled presence of God is manifest. Mm. And that's significant for what we're going to see happen on the day of Pentecost. But yeah. uh, I'll just throw that down as a, a seeding the ground a little bit. <laughs> okay. in, uh, in the, in the date line that we have up above or on this slide, this will just really quickly take people through Israel's history and it'll be helpful to them. Um, Solomon dedicates the temple and then, but Solomon also, Kim, Solomon uh, led Israel astray as well as leading them to their greatest heights. Uh, yes. Solomon broke the law of the king with, with wealth. He broke the law of the king with women. He broke the law of the king with weapons. And he had an expansive uh, program. He was the wisest man that ever lived. And he might have been the biggest fool that ever lived. Um, oh. Because he lived, because Kim, not only did he build and dedicate the temple of Yahweh, but he built many temples to many gods. And, and, um, and he very much made a mess. He succeeded by Rehoboam, and then there's that strange uh, and, and amazing case. I love to call up the people where uh, Jeroboam comes, and Jeroboam makes a case uh, with Rehoboam that there should be tax cuts, <laughs> that oh. uh, Solomon, Solomon has pressed them too hard, that he's, he's asked for too much from them. And, and Rehoboam... Uh, foolishly says, I'm going to double down on what my father did. And that's when Jeroboam uh, led the rebellion of the northern ten tribes. And so, and then Jeroboam becomes known as the king who caused Israel to sin. And when this happened, uh, ten tribes broke away from the, the, the two tribes and and you had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And mm -hmm. it was the end of the, the one Israel. And 
the northern tribes are called Israel. They get the covenant name, even though they, they leave the temple, they leave the throne of God, they leave the royal line, they leave behind um, the, the Mosaic law and the worship, and they go out and they establish new temples and they establish a new priesthood and they, they, they commit apostasy. It's a great apostasy. Uh, and it was basically over a tax revolt because wow. because things were t- too much. So I, I I like to when I'm teaching in churches, I have a lot of fun with that because um, <laughs> you can always poke fun at with people about uh, tax revolts and such things, and Democrats and Republicans. <laughs> but but um, so in eight in eight eighty, Israel makes Samaria its capital. That's the northern tribes. And then Elisha and Elijah prophesy in the northern, in northern tribes. And then also Hosea prophesies. And Hosea is the one that prophesies the divorce, the great divorce that comes. And then yeah. in 722, Israel, the northern tribes, fall to Assyria. And those, and those 10 tribes are carried off into captivity and scattered into the nations and become the so-called lost tribes of Israel. That's how that history will go. We're going to unpack that. Let's a quick review of the Davidic covenant. Uh, in 2 Samuel, David is promised that he will, God's going to build him into a house and that someone from his line will sit on the throne forever. Um, um, and that sin in his family line will not result in an expulsion from God's promise. And then he writes Psalm 2, where David understands his son as the son of God and refers to him as the anointed. And Psalm 110, where David refers to his son as my Lord. And so his mm. son, is, so the son is greater than the father. And that is not, yes. that's not thinkable in, in uh, ancient terms. And so this, thus it speaks of one who's going to be very, very special. And that's the background that takes us into of the prophets as we as we look at the prophets of Israel we we come immediately to Isaiah mm. I love Isaiah Isaiah I always say it is Isaiah there are these awful things because I bring these annunciations in that uh, but I think it's more properly Isaiah but Americans say Isaiah I think so so too. it's the same thing um, okay so so what we note here, Kim, that's, that's phenomenological here. In Isaiah, I said it that way, <laughs> 11. Yeah. One, there, shall, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Now, Jesse is David's father. And if you have a shoot from the stump, that means that, ooh, the, it means it's dead. A branch from its roots shall bear fruit. That means Isaiah is prophesying a time when the line of David will die off. But a shoot from the dead stump will rise, rise and come forth. So now this is interesting because... Uh, the reason Isaiah can prophesy this is because he knows the original prophecy that God says, I'll discipline, but I won't cut you off. 
And so it has to be that there has to be resurrection life come into this dead kingly line um, that, that's going to happen. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him and the spirit of the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom and understanding of counsel and might of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, the sevenfold spirit of God. Yes. I think that's what that references. Now, here's what's interesting, Kim, and I, I'd love to go into all the prophecies of Isaiah in the early part. I don't have time except to say that um, Isaiah sees the time when it's going to be the end of Judah, and he sees the time when it's going to appear that the kingly line is gone, but he says, but there will come forth a shoot. And the way you will know this shoot has come forth is the spirit will manifest again. Mm. And so a quick, quick question. Yeah. Um, so from the line of Judah. So um, I think that for those, those who are not familiar with uh, Israel's mm. history, you have just said that the 10 tribes have been taken off into exile. They have been carried off captive, um, but yes. the two tribes um, that remain are which two tribes, Judah and, Judah and, and the, and the half tribe. It's the Simeon is kind of absorbed into Judah. There's, there's, okay. there's a, a, all of Judah was surrounding. And so it just becomes Judah and it just becomes the Jews ultimately. Okay. And, so and we, so, so that's what you're talking about here, the stump of Jesse, and it'll come forth from Judah because Judah was the chosen seed line out of which the seed will come. And they haven't yet been carried off into exile. And Isaiah, uh, Isaiah is seeing the future of that. Yeah, he's, he's that seeing that that's coming too. So, so 722 is when the Assyrians carry off the northern tribes. And it's not until um, 587 that the Babylonians come and take away um, Judah also into captivity. And it's not until after that that from now on at this point, um, Israel, as we know Israel, is the Jews. But Israel, as they know Israel, is the lost tribes that are scattered. So okay. it's an interesting thing that, um, yeah. that the apostate tribes actually get the covenant name in the Bible, Israel, um, while the tribes that stay faithful longer. You see, the truth is, ultimately, um, all of Israel is apostate. It's just at different times. Okay. So the, the apostasy of the northern tribes is extreme and, um, and happens much earlier, and the apostasy of the southern tribes is slower and later. But that's what we're looking at. But um, Isaiah, he sees he sees that it's not going to be permanent, and um, yeah. that's why uh, there's a prophecy in one of the early chapters of, of Isaiah that says, "And yet a second time will uh, the Lord reach forth." And it's very interesting because um, some dispensational theologians uh, like to say that um, that Isaiah was prophesying. What happened in 1948? That that's really a bad, 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 bad mistake. Because um, when God reaches forth the, the second time, the first time that God reached and gathered His people 
was when he took them out of Egypt. And the second time is when he takes them out of Babylon. And so it's the second time is not the 1948 restoration. Um, And I think that's one of the most obvious mistakes dispensationalists make, but um, I'll I'll leave that on the side. We won't go into that for today Um, because all these things get me in trouble. (laughs) And then I <laughs> then I, I say he prophesies in 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 fifty three the the suffering servant, but actually it's all the way from chapter forty to f- chapter fifty three is the prophecy of of the suffering servant, and it's just impossible to be talking about God's covenant and not talk about how fully Isaiah saw and depicted. Um, Christ as a, as the suffering servant. And, um, and I come to this, I, I'm not going to comment on it very long because I, I have a lot to give you as usual. Um, but I, but I do want to say that what mostly gets missed is chapter 53 is when the suffering of Messiah comes to its apex, but it's not until the Messiah has suffered that we get what happens in Isaiah 54. Now let's go to 54. Um, which is you the don't next wanna, I want to read this. No, this I love this passage. <laughs> I'm gonna read. I'm gonna read it. I'm not letting you skip it. Isaiah. It's, your, it's your podcast. <laughs> Isaiah. That's right. That's right. Isaiah 53:1. Who has believed our report? And to whom mm-hmm. has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried away our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. All like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Sing, O barren woman, 54. You who have not born, break forth into singing and cry aloud. You who have not labored with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you shall expand to the, te- to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit. Do not fear. For you will not be ashamed, neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame. For you will forget the shame of your youth and will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name and your redeemer is the Holy One. Okay, now you can go on. (laughs) So in this prophet, we see that he... The, the just three things that we've seen so far. Number one, he has told us how we will know Messiah 
when he rives, how we will know the shoot that rises from the stump of Jesse. We're going to know him by the spirit that's on him. And Kim, that comes true in John the Baptist. When Uh, John the Baptist is, is at the river prophesying and baptizing, he says, look, there's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I would not have known him except I saw the Spirit upon him. Ooh. So, yeah. So what, what I'm saying is um, that John Baptist, uh, he had the word. He already knew the word. See, he already knew. We all think, well, how did John know him? And, and, he, and John said, well, because he said the Spirit would be on him. Well, he said it in Isaiah is where he said it. And then... But, but John had to have his eyes open because everyone else didn't see it. Only John saw it. Yeah. I saw. They didn't see. It was like when the voice spoke and, and they said, some saw it, said it thundered. All right. Mm-hmm. Now the, the second thing is, is that, and, I, and I'm sorry, the, the, this whole book is stunning. Like flying over this book like a, like a rock skipping a rock across a lake. That's all we're doing. And yeah. uh, then he says, we're going to know him by his suffering. That's the second thing. We, we're going to know him by his suffering. And that whole extended Isaiah passage, 40 to 53, uh, there's so much in there. And yeah. anyway, we know him by his suffering. But it's not until Messiah suffers that Israel expands its tent. So it goes like this. Israel is unfruitful. And this is just the truth. God keeps coming and saying, where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? And Israel is constantly unfruitful until Messiah suffers. And when Messiah suffers, ah, the song breaks out. Now it's time to expand the tent. And Kim this is a passage about the Gentile nations coming into coming into the tent of the Lord. This is this is um, Japheth finding yes coming in the tents yeah. of Shem. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, coming into the tent for the blessing. Of the Lord, because the blessing of the Lord is on them. Wow. Beautiful. So, so, so this is when it's time. And then uh, very wonderfully, Isaiah 59, as I'll advance very quickly, um, Israel's promise of new covenant and a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression declares the Lord. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. And Kim, I owe this to uh, Dr. John Ruthman, because in all candor, I had very largely overlooked that the new covenant was promised. The new covenant spirit, the way John uh, referenced it, was promised in Isaiah in chapter 59. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I've put in your uh mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring 
or the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And what Dr. Ruthven does so beautifully is he demonstrates for us that there are six, I think he had six points of contact between Isaiah's expression in 59 of the new covenant and Peter's sermon in Acts chapter two. And, And Peter doesn't, like he does some of the passages, he doesn't just quote this passage, but the references to it. And one of the ways that people need to learn to read their New Testament is you don't always read your New Testament looking for exact quotes from the Old Testament. You read your New Testament looking for echoes of the Old Testament in the New Testament. They are everywhere. And, yeah. and this is one of those prophecies. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of your the mouths of your children or your offspring or out of the mouths of your children's offspring. And that's where uh, in Isaiah, I mean, in Acts, it says, and this is for your children and your children's children and as many as shall come um, uh, to, yep. to the Lord. And so, which, Kim, this is us. This is including us. We're, this is we're, us. The, we're part of the big tent revival. And um, <laughs> hallelujah. Yeah, that's us. And then we go from Isaiah to Jeremiah. And, and this is, of course, the most common one that people know. And, and Jeremiah uniquely and directly promises the new covenant. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make, an, make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Now, it could be, and I don't object to it at all, that he's saying, and I will make new the covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In other words... Uh, so some say this is a new covenant, and some say this is a renewing of the covenant. Either way, it's the same covenant, because look what he's going to do. Not like it, it, He says, it's not like the one I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Uh, verse 33 For this is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my laws within them and I'll write them on their hearts and I'll be their God and they'll be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And then this amazing word. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Mm. Now, Kim, nothing Israel had ever done caused God to remember their sin no more. But this, he says, when this comes, I'll remember their sin no more. So new covenant. And so we have this phrase new covenant here. We have this phrase also in Luke chapter 22. That's what we began with, where Jesus says, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Let me Mm. just go ahead. Let me just go ahead and and make sure people uh, get that. When he says, I'm going to make a covenant um, and where I'm going to forgive your sins. Kim, if you remember when, uh, when God made the covenant with, Abram, Mm -hmm. 
God swore the oath and made the covenant for both parties, himself and Abram. Yeah. It's only when we come to Jesus that we have one now who is one of us and not one of us. Mm-hmm. Only when we come to Jesus that one of us who has kept the covenant, been obedient in all things. Yeah. Um, that, that, that God can um, actually establish. So, so new covenant is when this covenant is between father and son and mm-hmm. we are the beneficiaries. We are the beneficiaries. So it's so much like the when you describe the time when the flaming torch and the smoking pot walked right. through the center of the animals and God swore on both sides of the covenant himself rather than uh, Abraham uh, participating in that because God made the covenant and he made it with himself for the purpose of his people. Yes. Like that. And then the outcome is this new covenant, which means yeah. the law is written on our hearts. And 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 Kim, this is why the, the law written on your hearts is when when Paul writes that um, if you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Mm. That's because if you walk in the spirit, you're walking in the law that's written on your heart. That's mm. that that Galatians expression of that. I don't think you can get better than that. Um, mm. So so just to illustrate, because people say when the law written on your hearts, they all think about the law of Moses. They they tend to think about all the commands and all the laws, and it makes people dizzy thinking about keeping all the laws. And they say so it's written. <laughs> So is it going to be like that? Uh, no, it's not going to be like that. Um, I'll just read it here. But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. And then he says, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other uh, to keep from doing what you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. That's interesting. And, yes. and then it says, because if you walk in the spirit, um, then you're not breaking the law. And so um, the Galatians 5 passage has this, the laws written on their heart, has that in their mind. And then it says, yes. everyone know the Lord. And this is where, Kim, we know the Lord. We, we don't uh, know about the Lord. We don't hear about the Lord. We know him. He's real to us. And, uh, I, uh, you know. Relationship. Religion. Yeah. Religion is when people are conscious of, 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 the, of the law of God. But Christianity is when people know the Lord. That's the relationship. We know him. So I, as I sit here this morning, um, my wife is in the house. And my consciousness of her and her needs and what would disturb her and what would keep her at peace, my consciousness is it's always at work in me. I don't labor about it. 
It's just she's present to me and she's on my mind. And this is what it means to know the Lord. You're conscious of him. He's present to you. He's real to you. I'm always troubled when I talk to people who only have a relationship to a, a document, to the book. And they don't seem to have a present living consciousness of Christ alive in their heart. But that's what the gospel is. We mm. know the Lord. And then it says, and I'll forgive their sins and remember their iniquities no more. This means, that's that means, Kim, that the sacrificial system is now redundant. We don't need it anymore. It's, yeah. the, there's no more sacrifices for sin um, because sins are forgiven. Mm. Phenomenal. 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 Yeah. All right. Let's talk about Ezekiel. Um, Ezekiel the weird. <laughs> Ezekiel the weird one. He's odd. Yeah. <laughs> he is too. odd. I don't have uh -huh. explanations for everything about him, but I but the big sweeps of Ezekiel are huge in the gospel. And Kim, I always say to people, if you want to understand the apostle John, meditate on Ezekiel. Because oh. Ezekiel is very alive to John. So Ezekiel in the New Covenant, we come back to some timelines, and I'll show a few more things. Um, so, so there you go, 621 to 580, Jeremiah closes Judah. That is to say, he has that the weeping prophet who says, okay, we're going to be destroyed. And then in 587, Jerusalem is destroyed. Daniel and Ezekiel become the major prophets of the, of the exile. And, and so you have Daniel in the royal court of, of uh, the Babylonians, and you have Ezekiel prophesying among the common people down by the river Kibar. And uh, so this is the prophecy that takes place. And in 538, the first exiles return. In 516, they start building uh, the temple again. In, uh, in 457, 58, Ezra returns to finish the temple. And then by 444 uh, or 5, Nehemiah builds the walls. So that's how that mm. process goes. And, ooh, there's a lot of things I would love to, to go into. <laughs> I would really like to go into Daniel. Um, when I do yeah. the extended version of this teaching, I go into Daniel. And um, uh, Daniel is the most um I, I suppose um, is the prophet that is uh, most used by prophecy pundits. And uh, yeah. I may make allusion to Daniel's 70 weeks, uh, but let's just, let's see how that goes before I get there. But let's stick with the Ezekiel at first. And here's an outline of Ezekiel's prophecy. So Ezekiel prophesies among the, the common folk and he sees Israel as a flock of sheep. Well, that works for us because we've already seen this thing about the, the sheep and the shepherd. Uh, yep. Kim, by the way, I think that David, I have a different thought about David. When people depict David being out there keeping the sheep, uh, people tend to depict him as being um, not thought of as someone that could be the king. I have a different opinion about it altogether. I don't know if I'm right. Oh, my battery's going low. We have a problem. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, uh, my, my opinion is that uh, David was daddy's favorite. 
Oh. And that daddy was protecting him. You know, you know, mm. David's name means the beloved one. Yeah, his name means beloved. So I think he was the favorite. Oh, that's an interesting thought. And I think dad had him. This is interesting for your viewers. Um, a man gets up too, too early to record a program and forgets to plug in his computer. <laughs> the computer says, I'm going to die here in a minute. So the computer's mm -hmm. going to be sleepier than I am. So <laughs> we'll just get it plugged well, in. All right. Go this ahead. is the summer series, so it's very casual. But yeah, I can see what you're thinking. You're thinking that he put him out with the sheep too, so that he wouldn't be among his brothers who might harm him. And there's, of course, that illusion that many people, many people talk about an illusion uh, because of, of one of the Psalms that David might have been an illegitimate child or a child yeah, from another been. mother. But I think, I think David, uh, I think dad wanted to keep him. <laughs> That's what oh. I think. Like, like with, like with Joseph. Interesting. But these are speculative. I don't know those things. Yes. You can't say those things. But we right. do know. Scripture silent. That David yeah. was the shepherd king, and we do know that the leaders of Israel were to be shepherd kings. Mm. But the shepherds acted like wolves, and so Ezekiel wrote about it, and he wrote against them. And we read in Ezekiel 34, 1, For thus says the Lord, Behold, I myself... Yeah. I left it out. You know, he says, he says, all the shepherds are bad. Yeah, he, he does. And so thus he says, thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among the sheep. So uh, that I've been, that have been scattered. So will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. Then, wow. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, says God. And then in verse 30, uh, 23, now watch this. This is really fascinating. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. Hmm. Um, Who's dead? This is so, yeah, right, right. So, all the prophets see after this, they would refer to David because David was the prototypical king. And David, he, he went from being a person to being an archetype. Mm. He's the, he is the image, he is the king. So, this yeah. is not, they didn't think that David was going to come back, although always people had some of those thoughts is it going to be actually David coming back? But it was more of an archetype. And I'll set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David will be prince among them. I am the Lord, and I have spoken. Now, before you go ahead, yeah, I just want to point out that if there's one thing that the gospel accounts, especially in Luke 
And um, Matthew, what, one thing that they do very carefully is they connect Jesus to the Davidic line. Mm, yes, they do. And they do it with genealogy and they do it with prophecy and they do it with being sure we know that they were aware of the family line. And then we have this over and over in Ezekiel 34, God saying, I myself will shepherd my people. In other words, mm. he says, you won't do it, so I will do it. And then we come to this next passage. John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. Oh, mm. beautiful. Are you kidding me, right? Right. See, I, I think we tend to miss this. All the time people are, people are, so look what else he's saying here, Kim. Well, go ahead. Would you read that? Yeah. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold and I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd of the sheep. So um, for, for, we, we always read John and we think it's poetry, but what yeah. we miss is it's prophecy. Yeah. Because, yeah. because Jesus is personifying Yahweh. Woo. <laughs> if Jesus is the good shepherd, then in Jesus, God himself is coming to shepherd the sheep. Wow. That was not lost on the leaders. That was not lost on them. We miss it because it's... It's kind of just laid in there in in John's gospel. Mm -hmm. And I think the poetry, especially if you come from the King James Bible, like I do, um, the poetry captures us. And what we miss is the prophecy, which was this was this was this was blowing back your hair stuff. This was what? <laughs> he's, yeah. he's putting he's putting Ezekiel's claims about God. In his own mouth. And right. uh, I've never heard anybody use this as a proof of Christ's deity, but there it is right there. Yeah. There beautiful. it is. Right. There. Now, what's going to happen next is Ezekiel is going to give us the prophecies. I've already kind of laid them out. And it's going to come with a, a twofold agenda. Agenda number one is God is going to get the captives home. So he, so mm -hmm. uh, he prophesies, and about 50 years later, it began. And it was, it was in the three phases. Zerubbabel begins the building. Ezra restores the temple. And Nehemiah builds the walls. These are, these are, these are the, this is the unfolding of what happens. But Kim, if you remember, the, the exiles are in Babylon. And yeah. when they went into Babylon, 
Jeremiah had to tell them, said, listen, when you get to Babylon, make peace with it. You're going to be there a while. So he, remember, <laughs> right. remember, he, remember he tells them, he says, uh, build houses, plant crops, beget children. I know the plans. Right. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, to give you a future and a hope. Right. And when you call on me and all of that. But it those were it was a letter to the exiles to make peace in the place where God has put them and know that he had a good future for them, but they would have to walk through that time. And, and, and then uh, God has to uh, say to them later, okay, now I got to get you out of there. <laughs> yeah. Right. I had to let you be at peace. And you had right. to, you had to move your home where it wasn't your home. And now I got to get you out of there. And actually, what, what a lot of people miss is that the prophets had a hard time getting the getting the exiles to go home. They had to they had, they had to push them. <laughs> agenda number two is also going to be laid out by Ezekiel, and that agenda is to get you changed from within. And he does it with this way: the same way you see it in Scripture over and over, wash you with water, give you the Spirit, change your heart. Mm. I got to wash you with water. I got to immerse you. So it's immersing you in water and immersing you in the presence. So Ezekiel outlines the two steps in 36. Let's go to that. I'll sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean from your uncleanness and your idols. And I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give mm. you a of flesh the uh, the tablets of stone had given them a heart of stone and i will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules and you'll dwell in the land that i gave your fathers and you will be my people and i will be your god phenomenal um this is so 34 he warns about the shepherds and then 36, he gives his expression, his uh, restating of, of Jeremiah's new covenant promise. Um, a new heart, and he includes new spirit. Mm. Now, so he didn't use the word covenant there, but in the larger prophecy, it's clear that he also uses the word covenant. He calls it a covenant of peace. But it's, he's still talking covenantal language. Now... Yes, because you pointed out from the very beginning, you from the very beginning of this study weeks and weeks ago, you pointed out that God, his covenant language will be about family and will be about. So you'll be my people. I will be your God. There's that there's that allusion to the covenant that he's made all along. And and so, you know, that. I think that every time, and I've heard that again and again and again. We heard it uh, when he was when he was appointing Judah as a seed line. We've heard it with David. We've heard it with Moses. We've heard it with with every single every single time. We we keep hearing that particular language that you will be my people and I will be your God. The thing that surprised me most, Cam, about becoming a Christian was. Uh, how completely opposite of what I thought it was that it was. I thought Christianity was 
tables of stone and hearts of stone. I thought it was, here's what you got to do to be okay with God. And when I became a Christian, I was so surprised by the spirit. I was so surprised that my heart was changed. My motivations were, cha were changed. My love was changed. The yeah. things I used to love, I didn't love anymore. The things I um, used to hate, now I loved. And I was like, why didn't somebody tell me about this? And the answer to that is because there's no way somebody can tell you and you can hear them. <laughs> when, <laughs> when it says, I'll give you a new heart, it means you're going to be a new person. You're not going to be the old yeah. person. Right. Now, no one um, captured this more than, than John, as John was gleaning the passages and the teachings of Ezekiel. Because woven into what Ezekiel has to, or what John has to say is what Ezekiel wrote. Mm -hmm. um, truly, truly, I say to you, John, uh, Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. The born again idea is the idea of a new heart. It's the idea of, a, of, a, of the spirit being on you. It's also the idea that we will see come forth uh, when we come to Ezekiel 37 and the Valley of Dry Bones when you have to be born from the dead. But we'll come to mm. that. Nicodemus yeah. said, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time to his mother's womb and be born? Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus said, unless one is born of water and the spirit, clear allusions to Ezekiel. Water yeah. and spirit cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it. You don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of spirit. Now, Kim, I know you know that he's using play on words here with the word pneuma, which the word pneuma is for wind, then the word pneuma is also the word for spirit. And that we're going to see the same thing in the book of Ezekiel, that the, that the same word for breath, wind, and spirit in the Hebrew, it's, a, it's all one word, and that that play on words is going to be used there. So uh, you see the same thing. So you see these kind of repetitive images that where Jesus speaks to Nicodemus, Nicodemus is going to end up saying, how can these things be? And uh, Jesus says this awful thing to him. He says, you're a teacher. <laughs> you're one of Israel's teachers and you don't understand Ouch. these things, which was, right. a, which was a way of saying, you don't know your own scripture. And, and I have to say that I think you could read the Bible a long time before you could get your eyes around how John and Ezekiel are using the same language but if you but once you see it you can't unsee it and <laughs> and, it, and it'll it'll be there for you uh ezekiel 36 22 therefore um say to the house of israel thus says the lord god it's not for your sake O house of israel that i'm about to act but it's for the sake of my holy name which you have profaned among the nations to which you mm -hmm. came and i'll vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I'm the Lord declares the Lord God 
Uh, when through you I vindicate my holiness, I will take you from the nations and gather you from the countries and bring you to your own land. Um, okay, so this is also, this is Ezekiel's re um, response to the return to the land. But then there's something that's going to happen in Ezekiel that we need, to, we need to understand. And that is that Ezekiel um, is going to make sure that we know that his prophecy pertains to both the southern tribes and the northern scattered tribes. Oh. And, and so that brings us to Ezekiel 37. And if you wanted to read Isaiah 53, I'm pretty sure you, you, you will want us to, <laughs> to not hurry past this. And so yeah. do you want to read it? I shall be happy for you to read it. Okay, Ezekiel 37, 1. And the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O oh, Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Go ahead and read the whole passage so i so i prophesied as i was commanded and i prophesied and as i prophesied there was a sound behold a rattling and the bones came together bone to its bone and i looked and behold there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them but there was no breath in them and then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And one more. Then he said to me, son of man. These bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, exactly. they say, mm -hmm. our bones are dried up and our hope is lost and we are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. Now, that is a passage that's widely known and widely used. People, yes. in fact, love to use this passage. But yeah. what we want to do is we're going to interpret it. And um, so the first thing I'm going to say is Ezekiel 37 is not future. It's past. 
this has indeed happened. It has been fulfilled. The second thing I'm going to say is um, Ezekiel 37 gives credence to what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians when he wrote that really phenomenal passage, which says, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. And I've always thought when I read that about the foolishness of preaching, that Paul had in mind Ezekiel preaching to the valley of dry bones. Mm. <laughs> because what looks dumber? What looks more foolish? Now, catch hold of a whole bunch of things here. There's uh, catch hold of Ezekiel is shown a boneyard. Yeah. And he's asked, can these bones live? And he says, uh, Lord, I love his answer. Lord, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. He's, he's not. This is like, he oh, just can't. I hope you're not jumping on me on this one. And, right. And what I put, point is, you can also say, can they be born again? Mm. Now, take note, Kim, of what is dead. What's dead is Israel. What's dead is Judah. The nation is dead. It's a dead nation. Yeah. At this time, it, it really does not exist. It's In its twofold sense, it's been carried away into captivity. It's gone. It doesn't exist. Can these bones live? And so, in other words, can Israel be born again? So when, uh, a couple of things, when Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again, ah, this would have hearkened up this image. Now, Kim, in one sense, Nicodemus was born again. Nicodemus was living in the land of mm. Israel. He was, the land had been incorporated. Yes. But. <laughs> the land it was only partially alive it was it was it was a nation that was alive in terms of they were incorporated but kim they had no life in them they were a mm. corpse so so he says prophesy to the bones and he prophesies and and they become they become incorporated they become uh, incarnate they become a body again yeah so this was saying prophets go and preach to the the people and tell them to go home they'll go back to israel and they will be incorporated again they will they will they will be a body again so, but, so Israel for, well, this is shocking, actually, for mm -hmm. hundreds of years was a body without any breath. Mm. Kim, um, remember the temple? When they rebuilt the temple, all of the rabbis, all of the prophets, they used to, they used to have to, 
They used to struggle because they because they knew that the glory of the temple that they had rebuilt was nowhere close to the glory of the first temple. And what they were speaking of was that they had a temple, but they didn't have the presence of God. Mm -hmm. When the temple was blessed, nothing happened. There was no Ark of the Covenant. There was no... There was no invisible presence of God or visible presence of God. There was no manifest glory of God on the temple. And this is why when the prophets prophesied that the glory of the latter house was to exceed the glory of the former house, they were talking about the beauty and majesty of the structure. They were talking about the presence. Mm. So what was from the old temple was the presence. It was gone. It was not there. And... And so in this prophecy, he says, okay, prophesy to the bones. That means tell the people to go home. And then he says, prophesy to the breath. Raise the dead. Put my spirit within them. And Kim, that happens through preaching. So let's look at this last slide I have in case you missed it. And then I'll make a couple of applications. I think we have time, don't we? Yeah, yeah, we're good. Yeah. Okay. 10 minutes. So, you have 10 so minutes. in case you missed it, number one, they're going back to the land. Yeah. Number two, God would breathe life into them. Agenda number one is completed with Nehemiah. And agenda number two can only be completed by Jesus. Mm-hmm. So they had to be restored to the land and restored to life. Mm-hmm. Now, this is beautiful, Kim. This is so beautiful. This is so fantastic. And, and it's so often overlooked. Well, the return from exile was part one of Jeremiah, of, of Ezekiel's vision. Yeah. And the, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is part two of Ezekiel's vision. Mm, beautiful. And so watch what happens, because this is, this is pretty much fun. All right, so number one... Uh, Jesus, uh, when he rises from the dead, he goes and finds his disciples in the upper room and he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. All right. And we who know our, our Bibles know that what Jesus was doing in that prophetic act was, um, and by the way, I think there's some controversy over whether they actually received the spirit or whether that was a prophetic act and a call for them to receive the spirit when it came. So, Mm. so I don't think that that passage necessarily proves the two stage um, receive the spirit and then be filled with the spirit. Um, I, I I think there's plenty of goodwill conversation that can be had about that. And uh, I I know that troubles charismatics, but, but, but we will lay that aside. Um, because when I'm done, when I'm done, nobody will be troubled. Um, because <laughs> so so what Jesus is doing, and I said in a prophetic act, is he's reenacting what the Father did when the Father um, created Adam. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And right. now Jesus, now Jesus as the him Jesus comes to them as the first born of the resurrection. Jesus comes to them as the one 
in whom resurrection life is embodied. Yes. And he breathes on them and he says, receive Holy Spirit. Now, once again, I said, yes, it's possible that they actually receive Holy Spirit then, but it's also possible that he was prophetically setting them up for the day of Pentecost which um, slowly I've become um, more inclined to that. Um, and and I, I, again, I don't know. What, what do you think about that? Is that a crazy idea? No, I think that's, I think that's true. I've always, I, I've always seen Jesus breathing on the disciples as uh, an illusion for me to, uh, to God breathing, on the man he just created from the earth and him becoming a nephesh, you know, a living being and that he was breathing new life in them. And I felt like it was a renewal so that they could receive the Holy spirit in, in acts. Okay. So in the, in the book of acts, this is what's phenomenal. And this is what happens is on the day of Pentecost. Mm -hmm. So, so now they're, they're in their, they're in the area, they're, they're gathered and they're praying mm -hmm. and the day of Pentecost comes and the, and the spirit falls upon the room the same way that it sounds like the same way it fell upon King David, right? Mm. But there's one thing, one thing that's often missed. On their heads are cloven tongues of fire. And everybody always says, what's the fire? What's the fire? What's the fire? And we have two things that we think about. One, we think about when, when uh, John uh, says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Fire. Now, that's followed with his winnowing fork is in his hand and the, and the judgment. And so, and so people equate the fire with judgment, but I don't because he's talking to his disciples and he says, he's going to baptize you with Holy spirit and fire. Well, well, what does that mean? Um, I think it's an allusion to when the first temple was, was there. They put sacrifices on the altar and the yeah. sacrifices were consumed with the fire from heaven and the, and the presence of God filled the temple. And I think that what happened, what we're saying on the day of Pentecost is God's new temple being yeah. filled and the living sacrifices being consumed on the altar. So that, that we, we are the, and again, I'm back to that. We're the living sacrifice. We're to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. And um, mm -hmm. uh, this is why it's appropriate because it's always kind of funny when people, Christians will pray, fire, let the fire come, let the fire come. And I'm like, wait a minute. Now, if the fire is judgment, are you praying for them to be judged? <laughs> or, <laughs> what is, <laughs> is the fire? Yeah. No, right. what the fire is, is the presence of God coming to consume the sacrifice. And we are the living sacrifice. And then he breathes his breath into us and we become the temple. So this was God causing the glory of the latter house to exceed the glory of the former house. Because the latter house was built with hands and the former house is only built by God. Mm. And is. And is a habitation for him and for his glory. 
And all of this teaching has been for the, those to hear, to understand it, that this is God making you into his habitation, making mm. you into his family, making you into, I'll be their God and they will be my people. And that's not quite the end wow. of the whole message. That gets us to a place that we can end. <laughs> That's right. All right, Dr. Hawk, that was exciting. And you know, Pentecost is one of my favorite subjects ever <laughs> because I love the Holy Spirit and changed my life receiving the Holy Spirit for sure. And um, so would you minister to the people who are listening and, uh, and yeah, <laughs> Call down the fire on the altar. That'd be good. <laughs> anyway, however you feel led, but uh, it's that time. Uh, okay, so here's what I pray. I pray that um, for those that are tuned in with us, I pray that God is setting you up, that he will, that he's setting you up, even as he has set me up at many times in my life. And I didn't expect it. I just had one of God's setups just recently. And it happened like this. Um, 26 years ago, I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And when I did, um, Cindy Jacobs was prophesying over me and she laid hands on me. And as she prayed for me, the Holy Spirit fell upon me. And I'd been a Christian a long time, uh, but I'd longed for God to fill me with his Holy Spirit. And, and he did. And I fell under the power of God. And as I lay on the floor, um, um, a man went down on the floor and he was praying for me. And I have not seen that man in 26 years. And last week, I was face to face with that man for the first time. So I could tell him, you don't know what you mean to me. And God was setting me up for a renewing and a refreshing. And he just came and blessed me and poured himself out on me. And the reason you're doing this study with us is because I think God wants to set you up. He wants to set you up for a renewing of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so right now, you just put your hand on yourself and bless yourself. And Father, I present myself to you. I'm a living sacrifice. Just tell him you're a living sacrifice. I'm a living sacrifice. And now just let the fire come and let the, and let the breath come. Just let it come. Just let, just let from heaven the one who only can. And you say, well, I don't know how. It's so hard for me to receive. Well, then I would say to you, breathe. Breathe. And let every breath be receiving again in Jesus name amen hallelujah thanks jesus mm. that was beautiful thank you well thank you dr hawk friend and uh, we'll see you back for one more week, sounds like, right? One week uh, to finish I, I this think, study up. I think we may want to do that, yeah. Okay, yeah. so we will, we will do that. Mm-hmm.
So thanks everybody for listening. This has been week 10 of our summer series on the Emmaus Road or talking about the covenant from Genesis to Revelation. Again, go back and listen to the other nine if this is the first time that you have joined us and God bless you. Thank you for listening. You can find it on the Move Forward Dr. Kim podcast. You can find it on I wherever podcasts are actually and you will be able to find it on our YouTube, YouTube channel of Move Forward. Uh, Kim Moss Ministries. And so thank you for listening. It's been wonderful to be with you. And we'll see you back next week with the ending of our story and our summer series 2023. Thank you for joining us for the Move Forward podcast. We would love for you to rate this podcast and share it with a friend. You can connect with Dr. Kim on social media. For those links and more, visit her website, kimmoss.com. Host Dr. Kim Moss leads Kim Moss Ministries and Women of Our Time. She is the author of Prophetic Community, The Way of the Kingdom, Facing Ziklag, and The Four Questions. You can find those books on Amazon. Remember, you know your it is time to move forward.